I got Cam McKay here, who I've been hoping to chat with for a long time. I feel like I, as soon as I saw your channel, I was like, I know this guy, even though I didn't, because it just seems like there's a lot of overlap in our lives. We use similar cameras. Mm -hmm. We shoot similar subjects sometimes. Yeah. But you live in a much warmer climate than I do, so you have a lot uh -huh. more opportunity to, to do it. I'm a little more spoiled where I'm at. <laughs> Well, for anybody that doesn't already watch Cam's content, um, I mean, your YouTube channel is great where you sort of, I, I feel like you've got a, a very different energy to a lot of YouTube where you're just sort of walking people through what you're doing. It's like, you got a new camera, here's your experience with it. You just had a great photo shoot, here's what it was like to be there. It's less of um, like trying to play the YouTube game. It's more just sharing, you know, like just like kind yeah. of... Uh, sharing your experiences but the re like the reason i fell in love with it at first again this is you should just go like go look at his instagram right away and have a better idea but you show, shoot like just such beautiful like western cowboy california um stuff that i love and you know we're up here in alberta which is very different but has a very deep cowboy heritage culture so um and obviously my wife is absolutely in love with it so um yeah i don't know i've always loved your work thank you yeah, my whole like approach to YouTube is um, I'm a super just honest, chill person. So I know people, you know, when they go on YouTube, they have like the whole host side to them. Yeah, uh, I can't do that. I can't. Do I that never at do all. that. Yeah. yeah, I know. Like people will try to direct me to do that sometimes because I'll hire like homies who like are in the YouTube space too to like come shoot BTS, and I'm like, no, I can't. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Like, like I'll try. It's just yeah, I just can't. It's just I'm just no, me. I like that, but. Yeah. But yeah. California. Well, I'm, I dude. I have, so where I grew up is I just recently moved to LA before this, I was, uh, about 30 minutes from Palm Springs. So hence all the Western stuff. I grew up like in a little, uh, country town. Um, so that's where all that stems from, but I'm honestly trying to get out of that a little bit cause it's become, uh, trendy. Western's become trendy for sure. Well, um, it, it seems like this is your moment then. This is when uh, you're going to be well, the, it's becoming the like demand of your career. Too in LA, it's oversaturated. You know, like every photographer is trying to shoot like Western stuff now. They're putting girls in right. cowboy hats and cowgirl boots and putting them half naked, which isn't really my vibe. So uh, I'm just trying to focus on doing other stuff in the meantime. And when it dies yeah. back out, I'll, yeah. I'm still shooting well, cowboy stuff though. <laughs> the other thing we have in, cam in, common, in, Cammon, in common that I wanted to bring you on for is to... to to just talk about like aesthetics, because a lot of people that are doing tutorials or uh, showing you how to use a camera or software or whatever, you see the results and you're like, well, I mean, you went through a process that is helpful to me, but your results aren't exactly what, you know, my aesthetic. And I look at your work and I'm like, well, you know, you're, do you're doing tests, you're using software and the results are coming out in a way that meets my aesthetic in a lot of ways, right? And um, I don't, I, I guess I want to go through that on a few different levels. Like I'd love to talk about how you think about cameras, like what's important to you in a camera. How do you approach it in software afterwards? Um, like what's color grading like for you? Um, what are the, you know, what's the mix of elements that come together to make a beautiful image in your eye? Cause I, I, I think, I think you're nailing it. And I like that you, you share it. Cause this is always the curse of like learning through YouTube is a lot of the, the best of the best in any creative field don't end up becoming teachers because like they end up getting so much work creating stuff that they don't share it. They don't, they don't find the time to share what they're doing. So I super appreciate that you make time to, to show us yeah. how you're doing it. Uh, I mean, first you're aesthetic too. 
there's multiple times when you post stuff. Um, I screenshot it <laughs> and I save it for later. This, I'm just like, I'm going to steal this. each other segment. Of the <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, the whole, um, um, like one of the, the main things is, is like the colors, the way, cause you know how to combine, I don't even know what the colorway is called, but it's that like specific, um, like yellow or orange with like a certain kind of till and a red or something like, you know what I'm, you obviously know what I'm talking about, but sure, you yeah. nail that perfectly. Um, when most people are, you know, are just kind of doing like the typical till and orange kind of thing, uh, instead of chasing the aesthetic of, uh, that whole vibe. So that's why I've always loved your work. And I even follow your wife too, just because I'm like, I know it's all your work and it's like, it's insanely clean and everything. So I don't know how you guys shoot all that. Plus your like YouTube stuff. I think it was funny because like you guys probably followed each other first or before I knew of you anyway, because I was like, I saw one of your YouTube videos and I showed Anya. I'm like, Anya, you got to check this out. Like, it's this amazing cowboy stuff. And she's like, oh, yeah, I know. I've been following him for a while. (laughs) That's sick. Um, Well, so when it comes to, we'll just start off with like, I don't know, you want to start with camera stuff? Let's start with cameras. Yeah, sure. So like, what are you shooting right now most of the time? And also for anybody listening, we're talking about both photo and video. That's another thing we have in common that you seem to care about both just as much which i try to do as well yeah well w- real quick for you what do you favor v- video i mean i'm so yeah. I, I, it it's hard for photo to keep my attention in the same way right now and i think the big reason is because there's so video is so much harder it's so much deeper and it takes so many more years to you know to master it not that i've mastered anything really but like to really get your your head around it it's so much more difficult with video. So, um, I think that's why it excites me more is because I always, it's, it's more clear how much I have to learn. So the challenge. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of, I am. Um, but it's kind of, I mean, that's all it used to be. And now it's kind of whatever I'm getting booked for the most, uh, like my YouTube stuff tends to be the other, uh, the other thing of it. It's like right now I'm doing a lot of photo stuff just because past two years I've been, been, I probably shot three photo campaigns and the rest is all video work. Um, yeah. So I've been having like going with the, the, the photo side, but yeah, uh, I shoot with the Canon R5 right now. And anyone that's been following my YouTube for the past few years, know I've tried every camera, uh, cause I was waiting for Canon to update their mirrorless cameras. And so in the meantime, I was trying everything. Um, so I got a lot of followers through just like doing reviews on cameras and stuff. And I also got a lot of haters cause you know, people take it so personal if you don't like a certain camera. Um, but yeah, I'm shooting with the Canon R5 right now. Freaking love it. Um, I was excited to get the R5C, but my excitement died down a little bit. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Mostly because that. it's just cause of the world, all the stuff going on, you know, um, oh, so your your general excitement died down. For, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, for gear yeah. and just you're not, you're everything not in general right now. Um, but yeah, but I also shoot a lot of film, um, and I'm starting to get more comments on my Instagram saying that people can't do, like uh, figure out if my shots are digital or film now, which has always been the goal. Yeah, that's um, a high compliment. And I always tell people like the only way to achieve that is to shoot a shit ton of film. Like the more film you shoot, the more you train your eye to get that look. Um, and then that's why I like the Canon because it's, I've done tests before. I've done a video on it on comparing the R5 to Portra, Kodak Portra. And they're actually like super similar, uh, especially the contrast. I don't know what Canon does, but the, the skins 
tones kind of like pop off the camera and, and separate themselves from the ambient tones. Um, that's all the geeky stuff, but so yeah, just the R5 just makes my life easier. Um, I don't have to do crazy masking or anything like that. They're, my edits are pretty simple now. Well, where does most of the actual edit happen for you? Like th when colors are being modified and changed, is that happening in like, well, actually, I guess which software I was about to say Lightroom or Capture One, but I don't know which one you're using. And then, or do you do more of it in Photoshop? Like where do you really sculpt it? Mostly in Capture One. I don't touch Lightroom anymore. <laughs> After using Capture One for like, I don't know, like three years, uh, Every time I go to Lightroom, I feel like it's like crayons versus like <laughs> computer. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I know the feeling and, but I keep going back and forth. Like anybody that's listened to the show a lot of knows that I've, I've been switching what my primary is because there are just, there's things I just love about each of them so much that I've had a hard time really committing. Capture One is just objectively better with color in every way. Like it's, it's a hundred percent. It's, it's much easier to get a good starting point and you can take it further and you can get more refined with it. I keep using Lightroom for a lot of things because of the, the way that it manages databases and kind of, and, and keeps your photos organized. Um, you know, it's possible that capture one has as much potential with it, but I've had a much harder time finding guides and, and people's like recommended workflows that really work for me in the same scalability of like, look, I shoot huge volumes, every single, you know, every photo shoot has a few thousand images. How do you keep that in a way that you can manage over years? And yeah. I found that way easier in Lightroom. So I keep going back and forth between them because of that. But I mean, I do all that manually. Like I, I import, like I drag and drop straight from the SD card into folders on external drives usually. Um, that's the one thing I used to not like about Lightroom is like you, your library will get messed up somehow, or you lose a photo and you're dependent on Lightroom to find it, you right. know, when, and if you manually it. do it, it's like, it's all in your control. Um, but yeah, capture one. I agree with you. It's, um, everything's more finite. All your controls are just, my results are always way cleaner when I do it in capture one. I could yeah. get a similar look in Lightroom, but it's not going to look as clean to me. Um, and I'm kind of like anal when it comes to like the final uh, well, deliverable. And I mean, I've just, I've got a video that's been building in me for a while. I just don't think anybody would watch it about, I, there are so many things that really frustrate me that none of them actually, but especially that Photoshop can't do that as I spend more time in Resolve, I'm like, this should be essential. This should be basic everywhere. No app should be without, you know, really powerful, large visualizations of hue saturation tools and hue versus hue sliders and um, having vector scopes and having colored mm -hmm. waveforms along with histograms and that you can't do like saturation versus luminance. And I mean, I could I could just keep listing stuff. There's so yeah. much stuff that you can't touch in in Photoshop uh, is very minimal is barely there in Lightroom and it's, it's there in capture one, but like you don't, you can't reach as deep into it. Um, or I haven't found out how to, but like, I don't know. I just feel like photo, photo editing is, is maybe because it's always been a little bit easier. Like you could just take a raw image and get something good out of it. So people spent, went less deep learning how to manipulate colors more manually. Whereas on the video side, it was like, nobody was holding your hand. So all these, 
true professionals making Hollywood movies created pipelines that were like, no, we need this to look like film. You know, like our, our, we already have a standard and it's called film and we're going to find a way to get there. And they have. And I feel like on the photo side, it was like, we're close enough. Like the digital looks fine. All right, let's, you yeah. know, add some blue shadows, uh, good, you know, and, and, and move on. And so a lot of people only learned how to use their Lightroom presets and nothing beyond that. So I don't know. I, I think the main, cause I've always wished that like you could at least edit photos in DaVinci, which I'm sure some people do, but I mean, it's not set up to do that, but it'd be freaking yeah, amazing. Not optimized at all. Like even having just like, a, like waveforms and everything inside of capture one would be so sick only because now that I have the new 16 inch MacBook, uh, my black levels are always off just cause the screen's so good, you know, and it's, right. it's showing you more than what normal people are going to see on like normal phones and, and just like a standard iPad. Like it's not going to look well, the same even. And this also just seems basic to me that I think every time I'm in Photoshop and I'm editing an image of a person, I'm like, wait a minute, remind me, there is no way to check skin tone on, there's no independent objective way to look at your skin tone. Really? This is Photoshop. This is the app that every professional in the world uses to do skin retouching. And I can't have any sort of reference point. There's just nothing, there's nothing in there. And that's totally insane because it's such a fundamental element of like, every time you grade any video, you keep going back to like, how's my skin doing? Is my skin like, have my eyes started to get confused? Yeah. And then same thing, like you're saying with your like black point and your white point, the visualization of the histogram in Photoshop is like a postage stamp. And it doesn't yeah. really get bigger. You can't like blow these things up and make them easy to look at. Yeah. I mean, the, the other thing is too, to though, for, cause for, for all video log cameras, we all have a standard for log. You can convert it to like Ari uh, yeah. or the Cineon. Uh, what's the one in DaVinci? That's the one I usually use because I use DaVinci's filmlets, the ones that are just like right. built in. Um, so there's no standard for photo cameras. You just get the raw files and you have to learn how to manipulate those files instead of, being able to convert it to a standard. Um, mm -hmm. So I found that's the biggest thing because even when I, when I release LUTs, like I release them specifically for cameras just because they, like I do crazy stuff in curves. Like my main thing that I do is curves. I have this film curve that I made that mimics film. And right now uh, I have one for Fuji and Canon. I don't sell them though, but uh, if you want them, I'll send them over to you if you want to try them. Um, I just don't want to sell them because I like they're so like to me they're like my bread and butter on how I get my <laughs> yeah. look. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, but and, I always feel like the first thing that most people are missing in getting that look is knowing what to look for. Because like I was saying that that idea of people just do orange and teal, right? They'll just um, here, here's a I'll make a specific example in case anybody's been struggling with this. We, we all know that there's something appealing about cooler shadows and warmer highlights. It's, it's just so universal in film, whether or not it's the full orange teal look or a traditional film look also has elements of that. It really is everywhere. Um, what people get wrong is a lot of the time they'll grab the black point. And this is also what Lightroom does. If you use the split toning in Lightroom or Photoshop or whatever, it'll take the black and now your pure black starts to become blue or cyan or whatever color you're adding to it and your white point stops being white it starts to become yellow or pinky creamy you know whatever color you're adding into it 
And this is not right. This is not what should be happening at all. You're always wanting to target like your deep blacks and your, you know, mids where skin lives. And this is like any complexion of skin. It's not like skin tones aren't living at the top of it. Like even if you're as pale as I am, they're always like to the middle or towards the bottom. And so like all of those adjustments of the warm and cool need to be like on the bottom half of your curve tone. And a lot of people will be doing the opposite. They'll be doing right at the top and right at the bottom. And that looks terrible. Yeah. I mean, granted, this isn't art. So people can do whatever they want, but it does look terrible. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah. I think but it's awful. but I, I think the biggest thing is um, when I grade, I don't only do the till and orange and the shadow things anymore. What I do is I get the ambient blues. This is a big secret that I'm giving away that I do. That's uh, why I, I brought mean, you on. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, you got to bleep this part out, though. Uh, so all the ambient blues in the shot, um, when you shoot film, film is amazing at getting all the ambient tones and colors in a shot and boosting them up, where digital cameras like to gray them out. So if you're looking at asphalt, people think on digital, they're like, oh, that should be gray. But if you shoot it on film, it's going to be reflecting whatever the ambient tone is. So for everyone, like next time you're outside and it's sunset, look at the shadows coming from a tree. They'll be blue. They're not black or they're not gray shadows. They're blue because it's all the ambient sky tone going into there. So what I do when I do in grading, I boost those ambient blues up and sometimes I'll push them a little bit till. Uh, so when I do that, you naturally get that till look. Um, and then you have kind of creative freedom if you want to push the image a little bit more warmer or whatever you want to do from there. Um, but I never ever touch my shadow or my black points anymore, uh, since I've been doing that. And I, some people will say maybe some of my shots are like too till and orange looking. Um, and I'm, again, I'm doing zero like grading on the black and shadow points. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great way to think about it. Like the, I, I, again, yeah, it, it is so much to taste because like I, I will look at other people's work that I think is great and they have done these things that I'm saying are bad. But in my images, um, I think maybe because I'm doing a lot of commercial stuff, I always want it to feel clean and realistic. Like nobody's going to look at the image and see that it's been, that there's a filter, right? The filter should kind of like fall away into the background and, and average non-photographers should give no thought to it at all. If they have any awareness that like, oh, I see the filter, I feel like you're kind of failing. Um, another element of it that I've been become more aware of lately that is specifically a, a film aspect is that as anything in the scene becomes brighter, it's typically going to be less saturated. This is just, again, this is an attribute of like how film is collecting color. The more saturated objects or, or colors are all at the towards the bottom. So dark things can have lots of like rich saturation and tones to them. And as they come up higher on the waveform or on the histogram or whatever, just up on the curve, those have less saturation. And if you pump saturation into it, that is a lot of like the video look. And I was noticing this actually, I was watching The Office the other day and you know, it looks like video. It's meant to, right? It's a documentary. And you look at all the lights, the lamps in the background and they're, they're very, you know, they're bright and they're like super orange. They're like popping out at you. And it was reminding me of this, like, yeah, that's not what film looks like. The lamp in the background is going to really like fall off in terms of its saturation. As it gets brighter and brighter, the saturation falls away with it. And if it's darker, that's when you get that like richness. Um, so I don't know. That's something I've been yeah. figuring out lately. Yeah, that's been something that I've been um, learning myself lately because I used to love bringing down like right below the highlight point and crushing it and saturating it. Um, but I've been learning when you look at dated looking work, 
it's usually because your black and white points aren't solid. Have you been looking at my work? Is that, is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, I've been looking at my own work. <laughs> yeah. If you go like like three years into my work and when I'm like doing all these like crazy faded shadows and toning them, they don't date well. Um, so something I've been doing is, again, I'm trying to chase more timeless work because um, I find myself anytime I, I, I see a photo that I love, whether it's new or old, it's it's the colors aren't crazy. Um, it's more of the, I guess the contrast and like the simplicity of it. There's no frills to it. There's nothing that can date it to where you'd be like, Oh, that was like edit during this trend kind of thing. Um, so, well, and there's this problem that we're limited by the, the phrasing of that. We talk about like filmic colors, which I mean, it's even like what we're saying right now is it, it, it we're thinking everything we're shooting is well except for the film, all the digital stuff we're shooting is fully digitally captured. And our reference point is still an older medium. And it's, it's funny to think about cause like where the point of it isn't actually to emulate something physical. That's not, or to me, that's not what is important. It's not that you're looking like something that's faux vintage so that people think that you shot it on an old camera or that it reminds them of the seventies. Or I think it's more that over time, over a very long time, Color scientists at Fuji and Kodak figured out some things about what makes an image look beautiful. And they really got to a pretty great point. And everything just got reset with digital. It was like, no, 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 we're going for technical. Like things need to be accurate in some sort of measurable way, but the priority isn't aesthetics. It's not about like the, the you know, the universal beauty of it. Um, and uh, there's, I, I think there's a lot that was lost at that time. So. Coming back to it now, we have to start learning about what these elements are so that we're not just relying on some LUT that we downloaded or a preset pack that gives us this look. If you don't like understand it, which I'm always still trying to, you'll always be just downloading anything that says film emulation on it. Whereas it's more about like, let's figure out what it is about that. What was film doing that made us all like that image? That's what kind of drives and me crazy. There's so many like... This is how you get a filmic look. And then they start doing it. And I'm like, no, like that doesn't no, look like film at all. It drives me crazy. Um, like, like I could rant on forever about diffusion filters. And I've, I have videos where I was like, oh, you'll make it look filmic. But every time, like I realize all my I favorite films. I still haven't films, shot with one, ever. Really? Oh, don't yeah. start. <laughs> right. I, I remember I got yelled at by a client before. Because um, when they got the footage, they're like, did you use a diffusion filter? I was like, yeah. They're like, never do that again. <laughs> um, so yeah. from there, I, I questioned everything I've ever heard on YouTube about diffusion filters. And then I stopped using them ever since. Because, um, again, every time I watch one of my favorite films, there's no diffusion going on. There's zero yeah. diffusion. The only time there's diffusion is if it's like a throwback, like dreamy shot. Um, then they use it for that reason. But other than that, uh, film, they want it super sharp, like images mm -hmm. out of their film they're not they weren't purposely trying to like make it more mushy which i get digital looks super sharp um but it doesn't have to if you just turn down your sharpness and post you know and yeah. then it ends up looking a lot cleaner um yeah diffusion filters yeah drive me yeah well and of course there's different arguments to this like when you hear deacons talk about it like he's always just using he just wants like the best glass the newest sharpest most accurate like just show me what was in reality as precisely as you can. And if we want to modify it a little bit, we're going to do that later, but like, just give me something pure. 
which is really against, I think, most of the trends right now. I mean, everybody's all about, like, anamorphic's never been bigger, which I love. Like, I really, I, I, I like that look and vintage lenses and this, like, dirty capture where things are a little bit broken before they get to you. But you, you, don't, you don't need to go down that path to make it look filmic. So obviously, Deacon's looks, <laughs> if yeah. anything it looks filmic, it's Roger Deacon's, and he's, a, you know, and everyone's obsessed with them. And that's what, yeah. again, that's what confused me. You go onto YouTube and it's like, how to get the Roger Deacons look. And then it's like, stack on like a one over one black pro yeah. mist. And, and I'm you've like, never seen him do that. Yeah. I'm just like, ah, it, it drives me crazy. <laughs> I'm yeah, so grumpy great. when it comes to social media and like YouTube and all that. Just because I've been shooting for like 10 years. And so I started before YouTube and like Instagram was like a thing. So I grew up. Um, loving like uh, uh, Peter Lindbergh and Alan Von Unworth and all those photographers. Um, and so, yeah, you, you just see it now. And it's like, it's just trend over trend and a lot of repeating stuff where it's like, where is this stuff even coming from? Like who started this, who made up this, mm -hmm. this, this is how you get this look. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. or yeah, like I said before, when you see the results, you're like, eh, I don't know if that's what I want. And so here's another good example of uh, things I've appreciated that you've dug into more deeply is I, I always feel like most camera reviews are underestimating the importance of dynamic range. This isn't everybody, but at least, at least half of the people out there will be like, Oh, you know, it's, it's 10 stops. And also they're usually like quoting what the manufacturer says. They're like, it has tons of dynamic range. It has 10 stops. It has something that's the same as some other camera. That's pretty mediocre. And it's like this, this is what always looks like video. Like fortunately now we're at a point where there's a, wide variety of cameras that have a pretty extensive dynamic range and we're not we're not as desperate for it as we were just a few years ago but it whenever people discount it and they're like that they'll say uh you know it has one or two stops less but that's not a big deal i mean to me having a full stop less of dynamic range always matters and it's always the thing that frustrates me most about cameras that i otherwise love but they're missing one or two stops over some competing camera you can take the color science you know you can take the the default color profile of virtually any camera and sync it up with other cameras pretty easily there's a, a, a lot of ways to do it you can get that the tonal response uh the the contrast you know what what it what does red look like what does blue look like you can change all that later but if you don't have enough image captured if the the data is just not there if it's 8-bit instead of 10 bit or 12. And if the highlights are clipping, the shadows are noisy. You can't, you can't do that. It's all gone. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I, dynamic I, range. Cause I, I, a lot of the stuff I shoot, like the run and gun stuff, we can't set up lights. We don't always get to choose when and where yeah. we're shooting it. Um, so dynamic range to me is like the most important. Um, yeah. And, and the other thing that kind of like, you see a lot of people say, Oh, it only has this much. Uh, and then under the noise floor and they're like, well, you don't like using noise reduction, right? Do, do I? I yeah. never use it. I just like, yeah. don't. it's that not even an option mind. to me. I don't think about uh, it. That blows my mind. Um, yeah. Even like on the R5, I'll expose for highlights. 
And then in post, I bring the shadows up in post and yeah, they're noisy, but I run like a simple noise reduction on it and right. it looks so clean and you get like an extra two stops than what yeah. most people are saying you could get out of it. Yeah. Um, are, you, are you doing that with C-Log 3 or are you doing that with like raw in C-Log 2 or? C-Log 3. But if you do in okay. C-Log or in raw, it looks even better just because with raw, you have even, it opens up those details. Yeah. Um, so I did a video on that and it, it's, it it probably gives you like another stop, stop and a, uh, and a stop and a half in the shadows. Um, mm -hmm. but I mean, that matters. Uh, that's why I love shooting on my Komodo because right. I could stretch that thing like crazy. I use the HDR, uh, wheels now a lot. Um, and I'll bring up like right above the black point and in between like the mids and the shadows right there. And I bring those up, um, just enough to bring details out. I don't want to look like HDR obviously. Um, but the Komodo's like, you could stretch that footage like that's super crazy. I mean, that's why I still want one. Okay. So this actually leads me into, I've, I've made some really exciting discoveries lately. I've been watching so many hours of resolve tutorials. I think I mentioned in the last episode, uh, Cullen Kelly, especially his, his stuff's been really great. But so one big thing I've always been searching for and, and couldn't find is that in, in, in resolve or, or in Photoshop, there's, there's limited ways to really like affect your exposure and your white balance in a similar way to what the camera would do internally. Um, and I think a lot of people seem to just ignore that. Like, I, I don't know why, no, why is nobody talking about this, but they'll, you know, they'll grab like the offset wheel, move it up and down. And they'll be like, yeah, it's changing the exposure. It's making it brighter and darker, but what an offset wheel is doing. It's the exact same as if you grab like the white point and black point and just move, move them all together at the same time, the whole image, the whole either histogram, waveform, whatever, is just moving up and down as one, meaning there's no awareness of what highlights or shadows should look like. In Resolve, the HDR slider uh, wheels that you're talking about that I, I've just been starting to really dig into, they, they work pretty great out of the box because they're going to pinch the shadows and the highlights in the same way that changing exposure in camera does. But what's amazing and that I'm just in love with is if you set up a color-managed workflow in Resolve so that... Resolve understands the camera that you're working with. And it's like, oh, this is C-Log2. I know what to do. This is V-Log uh, from Panasonic. This is uh, uh, <laughs> Alexa's uh, log, log C. Whatever it is, it, it understands it. And it's like, okay, I know, I know how to deal with this. And you're, all of a sudden, your exposure adjustments look like your camera. So there's this like very smooth movement across your highlights. And you can raise the exposure one or two stops and nothing's clipping. It's getting creamier. And it's not because you've done anything, nothing. You've got the same footage. You're working with the same stuff you had a minute ago. But that slider understands what exposure is and knows the log profile that you're working with. And, and I, I've just been incredibly happy with that. And same story with the white balance slider. If you just make things warmer or cooler, it's not the same as changing the white balance. But all of a sudden that temperature adjustment does the correct thing within Resolve. Anyway, these are all reasons that I've been hating or, or having a hard time not switching out of Final Cut lately. Uh, yeah. Because th the tools in Resolve are just amazing. Is that what you cut in as well? Like you editing in yeah. Resolve? Yeah. Yeah. Which I... I remember when I first got into DaVinci, I was like, does anyone use this for like actual cutting? Um, but now that I use it, like I, I will never switch to anything else. Yeah. Like it's just so, especially with the color grading. Um, yeah, Cause I used to like do, uh, you know, the qualifier, mm -hmm. I used to go to the luminance part of the qualifier and I would do two nodes. One node was just for shadows. The other was just for highlights and I would lift those and crush those. So that's basically what the HDR wheels are now. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so going back to what we're saying, like why does none of the photo editing apps have any of these tools? Like we have our highlight and all yeah. that thing, but you, <laughs> you can't control what, what parts of the highlights it's bringing down. Yeah. No, I, and even inside of like, if you're in photo, side of Photoshop, there is an exposure slider that you would think would adjust exposure, but it's just crazy. Like, I don't even know what it's doing. Maybe I got to like yeah. look up some, but it, it just clips everything right away. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's just so bizarre. I mean, some things do get it right. So all the camera raw tools in Adobe are, are doing the right thing, right? Like if you open up a camera raw adjustment, it's got the same sliders as Lightroom does. That exposure slider does the right thing. Um, even on like a PSD, it's it's smarter about it. It's, yeah, I don't know. But but you're always going to get, uh, f- for anybody who hasn't discovered this, like RAW will give you radically different results if you move the white balance and the exposure slider using the, the same tools, using the RAW tools. If the image is RAW versus a TIFF, even if it's like a 12-bit TIFF, it's going to look completely different in RAW and do a much better job. So stick yeah. to those but i still want more control <laughs> well so like i, I would love a capture one gave me like illuminates the levels to choose from that yeah. all of them that all the highlights and shadows worked with so i don't want to use the white and or the lights and shadows bars anymore i just use the whites and black points because it's mm-hmm. way more subtle like right. i try not to push it at all anymore i just try to go for the most natural looking thing even though the well, results that- i guess don't look that natural Another thing I like in Capture One a lot is the ability to like stack those adjustments as well. So for example, sometimes you want to do levels that are only hitting your white and black point, right? So the line stays straight, still got a linear uh, curve that's just one diagonal line, um, but you've moved the white and the black point. And then you might want to do another one that is adjusting your like mid-tone contrast that's an S-curve that's targeting the mids, but you could stack another one on top of that is like, okay, but now I need to like, you know, scoop my highlights in a certain way. Um, so there, there are always reasons to, to, to do more than one thing. And if you can't layer them, which you can't in Lightroom, um, it's super limiting. Uh, yeah. Well, actually I lied. The, Capture One, you can do Luminance Mask. Right. On new layers. I never do that, but yeah, I never did that either. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah. But okay. Let's, let's also go back, back a step to like a, a bit of your, like your, your sort of workflow right now. So you said you're shooting photos on the R5 primarily. Do you still shoot video on it at all? Or is it, you're kind yeah, of all well, Komodo? Uh, the past three video gigs I did, um, I didn't even take the Komodo out of laziness. <laughs> well, yeah. So um, how do you choose? Cause I've always, I've been wanting the Komodo ever since I, I tested it. I went with C70 instead and I've always, been very jealous looking at your footage. Um, how do you end up leaving the house with the R5 instead? Um, it's kind of comes down to what the usage is going to be. If it's just for like an Instagram post and uh, it's not like a super, super important kind of thing, uh, I'll just take the R5. Um, also, if, if like we're going to be like, like hardcore run and gunning, um, I just want to have autofocus um, even on my Komodo, when I take the Komodo, I just use all RF glass. Um, every sim lens I try, I'm just like, I don't, I don't need a sim lens, which people think it's crazy. Like all my buddies who shoot video uh, think I'm crazy for using RF glass for video. But on the Komodo, even the focus by wire, it does it by distance. It doesn't do it by speed like uh, it usually does. And on the R5, you could switch it to distance too. Um, Wait, yeah, I don't it, know what you mean by that. What do you mean distance versus so, speed? So focus by wire usually, um, like when it first came out, you would try to focus and depending on the speed that you would focus by, it would be mm-hmm. 
totally different. So you could try to focus one point this slow and then do oh. it fast and it's going to be totally erratic. Like it's not going to do the same thing. Okay. So Canon gives you an option to make it by distance. So it's like a regular lens almost, but you just don't have hard stops, okay, uh, right. which to me is like, whatever. I don't use um, uh, focus motors or anything like that. Cause I'm usually just mm -hmm. have a hand on the handle and one on the lens to focus. I like, I just keep it simple. But do you feel like that's a, that's like a limitation of the type of gigs you get? Like, would you, if you could have somebody on a wire, on wireless focus all day, that's just watching a monitor and you're, you're just running around doing your thing and they are just being your autofocus and they're good at it. Would you rather that? No, for, for most of the stuff I do, it's just easier if I do it. Right. Cause there's so been times where we, we wait, yeah. what are you doing on the Komodo? Are you manually focusing on the Komodo then? I'll use autofocus sometimes too. Hmm. And it's great. Cool. Yeah. So like, yeah, I mean, if I've it's a fashion a thing, yeah. And like you, like if you're getting a wide shot and they're not moving crazy, I'll do autofocus on the Komodo. If I'm getting detail shots, I'm zooming all the way in autofocus and it just locks on it and it's face detection. So it could be like a black jacket and it'll still focus on it. Um, but then for any of like my high energy, like running, chasing models and all that, that's all manual focus uh, and all mostly on RF glass. Um, I don't have an issue with it, but yeah. So for any, uh, bigger gig it's like, say if I'm getting paid like 10 K plus at minimum, uh, I'm taking the Komodo and then the R5, right. I'll either have on a gimbal, which is rare if I use a gimbal, um, or it's just on my hip with the seven to 200. So for like punching stuff or, uh, if I can't get close to the subject or something like that. Yeah. But then Komodo yeah, I mean, has what, ultra wide. I've really appreciated it when I'm using it in conjunction with the C70 being able to, you, I mean, basically use the sensor stabilization for a certain kind of handheld shot where I'm like, I don't want to pull, I don't want a gimbal. I don't want a tripod. I need to move a little bit. And it is, it is good enough to me that like, if you're not, you know, if you're using it at a decent lens, you can just like hold it and walk carefully and it's going to look pretty good. You can't like, you know, not a walk and talk kind of thing, but, um, you know, basic side to side, just like a little bit of movement works out really nicely with that stabilization. Um, if, if it needs to be a little more settled where obviously sometimes running gun, you, you don't need any, but yeah, um, well you can't use any, like for a lot of the running high energy stuff, if I used IBIS on that, it would ruin every single shot and there would be <laughs> right, no yeah, way you're to actually like it. running. Yeah. 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 It's not, yeah, I'm not like, usually running, running. Oh yeah. I'm always like, malls are always shocked. So I'm like, yeah, run. I mean, run faster. <laughs> but, it's because you work harder um, than I do. But. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, like Ibis, like with the R5C, everyone's complaining about Ibis. And even for like my steady shots, if I'm at 200 millimeters, mm -hmm. the Ibis still ruins shots. It'll, it'll jump sure. randomly. Um, so I'd rather just not have it at all. Like I love lens IS. I think that's like the smoothest, more natural looking uh, physical stabilization that we have right now. Yeah. Well, I still barely have any of it because I'm almost entirely on EF still. Oh, I haven't, really? I haven't bought any. I've, I don't use any RF class. I have one lens and it doesn't come out. Crazy. Um, but I love it. And so most of that is because of the C70. It's because it's got the full frame once you've got the adapter on. I've screwed oh, yeah. my adapter in so it never comes off. And I just, I mean, last year I bought three EF lenses and I'm still not buying RF. So Crazy. Um, yeah. And same with stills. Like, so, and I, sometimes I'm really giving something up. So for example, with, um, stills, my main lens is the EF 24 to 70 and it is not as sharp as the RF. Like it's, it's yeah. a worse lens for sure. Especially at but, 70. It's softer. Yeah. yeah. And it like, it really drops down a lot of light as you zoom in. Mm -hmm. Um, but 
I don't know. I've just like being able to move back and forth between them has been great. Um, I just haven't like felt the pressure to upgrade and for video, I'm usually using Sigma as well. So like mm. the, you know, my, my standard that's usually on the C70 is the 24 to 35 2.0. Um, and that's just, it's good for so many things. Uh, so often there's not even Canon lenses on my oh, C70. Oh, crazy. I didn't know that. Why do you use Sigma, not the Canon lenses? Cause it's sharper cause it's EF uh, and, and, and it's super sharp and, um, that, yeah, I guess that's it. <laughs> cause it, yeah. cause like I could, you know, I could get similar quality out of RF glass, but then I can't be full frame on the C70. Uh, none yeah. of the EF Canon lenses are as sharp. Um, so cause Sigma was basically ahead of the curve. They were, they, they were the ones that first raised the bar of our expectations like, Oh, here's what sharp can mean on full frame. Yeah. Cause I think we had been living with something that was not actually that sharp for a lot of years. And we're like, this is what it looks like, right? It it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we get some 50 megapixel sensors and we're like, Oh, that's what sharp is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I find most of the Sigma glass still totally holds up really well. Um, Crazy. I hate adapting. I hate speed boosters. Like, I'm yeah. just like the most simple. I'm like, just put the lens straight on the body. Give me a handle, a little monitor and let's go. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> I know what you mean. I, I would, I'd prefer that if it, if it gave me everything I wanted, but, but it doesn't, but you're yeah. also living with, because of that on your Komodo, you have to, uh, kind of live with super 35 all the time too. Right. So now your, your RF stuff is always cropped, which yeah, obviously your work still comes out great. It doesn't, you know, really sacrifice that much, but I, I just, I have a hard time with it. I don't know. I, well, I absolutely love the Tokina 11 to 20 millimeter. I've heard good things and I've seen good things. I'm yeah. obsessed with, so that lens is usually glued onto my Komodo. Um, just today I was at the cafe editing uh, Komodo footage and it was like the first time I looked at Komodo footage again in the past like couple months mm-hmm. um, from like an actual gig. So again, I've been doing most of the R5 stuff and I was like, shit, like this is, this footage looks insane. And what's crazy is like, it has such a good contrast without you having to uh, make the blacks blacks and the whites whites. Like it has, for me, it has enough of that like look. Again, I'm stretching it too though. I'm lifting shadows and I'm kind of crushing the highlights a little bit. And it has enough of a high dynamic range look to where I'm happy with, but I do want the Raptor cause it does have another stop or two a dynamic range. So I would just love like you, I'm obsessed with more, the, the more, the better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and this is something I was talking about on Twitter the other day actually was that the, a huge advantage of, of red, let's just talk about red. Let's ignore Alexa. Cause the, the price point is quite different from even red, um, red compared to Sony, Canon, Panasonic, Everybody else that's making great cameras that a lot of us more in the YouTube market are going to be shooting with red gives you a pipeline to guarantee beautiful colors. If you have no idea what you're doing, you know, you just like follow the directions, just click the boxes the way red tells you to. And it looks like it's money. You know, it, it looks expensive out of the box. If you're shooting on Canon, you go download their technical transform lots, even though you're in C log two, which has, it looks very similar to Alexa's, uh, log C your, the transform looks like garbage. Like it looks like yeah. cheap video, you know, so the, the solutions you're provided by the manufacturer don't give you what you were promised. You don't get something cinematic and you've got to go so much deeper and either 
find somebody that's, you know, selling a transform that looks nice or some kind of third party software that uh, gives you something filmic, or you have to start to really learn your software. That's the op that's best yeah. case scenario is you start to dive deeper. But I just, I actually don't think that should be the resp If you want to primarily be a cinematographer, you shouldn't be forced to do a super deep dive just to get pleasing images out of it. Cause photographers yeah. aren't, that's not expected of them. You go buy a phase one or Hasselblad and you plug it into capture one and it just looks good. You don't need to, yeah. you know, learn a ton. So, um, red's got that dialed in a way that nobody else does except, except maybe actually black magic. gets pretty close. Yeah. Um, I've never, sh I've never shot a black magic camera myself, but the out of box colors are, are really, really good. I started with Blackmagic, the okay. Pocket 4K. Yeah. I absolutely loved that camera, the footage, edits in DaVinci like butter. Mm -hmm. Like you could put noise yeah. reduction and everything on it, and it would still run like butter. Um, and the little highlight recovery tab that they have is like, it's like, it's like magic. Like it's, yeah. I don't know what it does, but it brings all these details back. Um, yeah, I absolutely love those cameras. I would get another one, but it's just, the bodies, um, there was multiple <laughs> yeah, times where yeah. they, yeah, they would, they would just crash out on me. Uh, the last time I was in Montana, we we're shooting these, uh, these Marine guys running through mountains and through freezing cold rivers and it's snowing on us. And, uh, the camera just crapped out on me. It just stopped working halfway through the trip. Um, so I just, I put it away, unplugged everything, replugged like several times. Finally, it turned back on. Uh, mm -hmm. and then that was the last time I used it. Uh, and then from there, what did I get from there? Yeah, oh, I got the Z cam, which was great, but the footage is kind of limited. Um, yeah. don't come at, after yeah, me. Saw your cam fanboys. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I got the C70 and the C70 was su far superior to the Z cam. Um, I got a lot of hate for that too. Um, and now I'm on Komodo, you know, C70 is it. still, is still killing it. Like I, I'm, there's always, always times I wish I had a Komodo for just cause, cause of, I think mostly cause of what I was saying, it's just super easy to get it looking perfect, but it's just such a workhorse. C70 has gotten so much done so easily for me. Um, yeah. but, uh, the thing, the, the reason I wouldn't go black magic, even, even now, I mean, cause there's a lot of really affordable ones. Like it's, it can be a good, just B cam to throw in the back of, you know, just have it around. The thing that's kept me away from it is the dynamic range, which it's good. It, at, at one point, not that long ago, it was like the best you could get for the money would have the most dynamic range. But now it's visibly less like it has a good maybe two stops less than something like a C70, maybe three. Like the highlights are not there in the same way. They roll off nicely. Resolve knows how to deal with the footage and make it look beautiful, but it's still not capturing as much data. And that, that was enough that's for me not to choose it. That's when I start doing that trick on recovering shadows oh, right. and putting yeah. noise reduction on it. it it's crazy because you recover the shadows and you're like, oh, there's a lot of details, but it's super noisy. And there's all this red noise, both on Blackmagic and, and on uh, Komodo raw footage. Um, you slap noise reduction on it. All of a sudden you have all this color and saturation detail to play with in the shadows. It's weird. Yeah. Um, I'm and so try, that's I promise. usually what I do is I do noise reduction and then I do recovery. Uh, and then after that I do my transform nodes and all that. Uh, and then from there, like you could stretch it all over the place. It's insane. Mm -hmm. So I was doing that with the black magic and I was getting crazy. Again, don't be scared of noise, bro. I, Just put I mean, that I'm noise that reduction scared. on. You, and 
I was, I was watching some tests the other day. Have you ever messed around with how uh, YouTube deals with like, say digital grain or film grain simulations or anything like that? Cause like, there's a lot of times where I'll add it on my end. I'm like, this looks better, you know, just like, you know, 50%, a little bit of fake grain there looks, sh looks sharper. Everything looks better, but I know how YouTube deals with things. Uh, I like at 1080, especially it runs like a noise reduction. So the same video, you'll watch it in 4k. You can see the noise looks crispy and then you watch it in 1080. And now it's less sharp because it did noise reduction on that grain. Yeah. So how do you do, how do you approach it? Do you add any or, um, you know, dehancer? Yes. So I've been using, um, their film grain. So I'll do like my usual, uh, film conversion and everything. And then at the end I'll put on dehancer film grain now. Mm -hmm. Um, and they have this new one that's like a digital like version. So you could like change it from analog to digital. Um, and I had a couple of people complain on a video cause they're like, yo, your grain's like way too strong on this video, but which just goes to show like it shows up on YouTube better. So it's a different algorithm that they're using, I guess. Um, okay. yeah. so I tried turning it down and it's all, it's way more visible on YouTube. Um, it's almost too visible on YouTube. Um, but yeah, so I mean, so I never had an issue with it. I'm like, if, yeah. If, if someone wants to see the film grain, like watching 4k. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I never had like and, a big problem with it. And I think it's worth it for like, if the shot is also when you're going for like a film, a filmic look versus a technical look, a lot of it's deciding about what are you showing? So for me, I'll push towards the cinematic for like my B roll. Right. So if I'm showing off a product, if there's a computer in the frame that needs to look beautiful and expensive, a little, a little extra film grain and a little more of that filmic look we've been talking about. That's the moment where I'll push that further. But then when it's a talking head and it's just me in my face, I'll try to keep that a little bit cleaner and more, a little more like a newscaster. Cause like, that's not why you're watching my face yeah. is to think if you, you, you shouldn't be thinking that's a movie at, at that moment. So, um, there are reasons to go in both directions. Yeah. Um, something you just touched on. I want to, I want to talk about a bit more that, cause I know people aren't aware of how important the order of operations in building out your, your, your transforms from log, when do you apply grain? Where do you do your corrections? People just kind of start doing it because the software doesn't really walk you through it. You know, if you don't know, you yeah. don't know. And, and you don't, you don't even realize you don't know. So it took a while for me to figure out. And I saw, uh, some responses on Twitter that made me realize how, how widespread this is. So like Rene, Rene Ritchie, who, He's, he's like massively upgraded his video game in the last few years. Like he had just started on YouTube and out of the gates was like, I'm, I'm going to become an expert in video production. And he has, it's crazy. So he's been uploading a ton. Yeah. And he, and yeah. he like, you know, bought the right cameras, learned how to use the software and we were chatting about it. And, and so th I guess this goes out to him. This is more of a direct response to, to what he's talking about is that in final cut, it kind of asks you to apply your log transform in the settings, meaning that it's like instantly applied to every single clip. And this makes really easy editing because as you're looking at everything, you never see the log image, right? Um, it always looks transformed. It looks like it's, uh, you know, in a rec 709 space, it looks right. And it works fastest if you apply it there in the settings as well. Unfortunately, your transform should always be almost at the very end of the chain, like somewhere near the end, because that flat log, space like the the log profile that's like your raw image that's where you have all the room to do the you know photometric 
exposure adjustments I was talking about earlier, where it holds on to the highlights and the shadows in just the right way. That only happens in the log space. So if you've already transformed your image to a full contrasty Rec 709 before you do any of your adjustments, anything else you do to it will start to clip those highlights, lose those shadows, like everything's already gone if you're adjusting it afterwards. The best so, way I could put it is, sorry to interrupt, yeah. uh, I'll just simplify it a little bit. Uh, your 709 is like making a JPEG off a raw photo. So yes. you're then editing on top of that JPEG instead of the actual raw photo. That 100%. Yes. And I think a lot of people hopefully can relate to that. And unfortunately, Final Cut, I mean, you don't have to deal with this. I'm going to complain about Final Cut a lot, even though I love it. <laughs> it, it just, it doesn't, it only lets you put it at the beginning of the chain. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and work perfectly. So you can add effects layers. Final Cut does have a solution for this. You can um, add LUTs on top of each individual clip, but it doesn't provide a great way then to sync those between multiple clips. So if you, let's say, apply that to all the clips in your timeline, you're like, actually, I wish everything was a little bit warmer. Now you have to go in and like manually delete everything, like click, 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 click to delete that. You can't just say, okay, warm everything up in the same way. Um, and those effects layers are much slower than the settings LUT adjustment. And they're slower than Resolve doing LUT adjustments. Like it's, it, Final Cut just treats it different. It thinks of it as like, this is, an, a, this is a special effect. I need to work harder for some reason to apply the transform here. So uh, the, the way that you do need to do it to get like optimal output though, is that it goes like, well, depending on how many steps you're going through. If you're shooting log though, start off with a log image, then you do your adjustments, then you do your transform. Then you do a look, meaning something like film emulation. And then around that step, maybe after it, is when you'd apply the, the grain that you were just talking about. Um, and that order makes such a huge difference. Like, don't yeah. don't change it. It is the right way to do it. Yeah. Uh, so it, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, I don't know why you're still using Final Cut. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so I got to explain that, too. The, the biggest thing is it's just it is the... I, st I strongly believe it's still the best at actual cutting. Like mm -hmm. when you just have a big stack of footage, like you just have tons of clips you're looking at, it has the most efficient way of, of reviewing it, selecting the best of it, putting it in a sequence. I, it, and it used to be that it was also faster software, which Resolve is caught up with now. Yeah. Um, but it's the, the mental model of like removing, removing the bad stuff and adding the good stuff is really, really fast in Final Cut. Mm. Um, the mastering in every way is worse though. The, 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 <laughs> the color, the audio is not as good. So I, I'm, I'm basically every episode now, I'm saying how tempted I am to, to move to Resolve, but relearning it's a lot. And even once I've relearned it, I do know that it's Resolve doesn't support all the things that I love about doing the edit in Final Cut Pro, so. Yeah, I mean, yeah. for me, like DaVinci Resolve, I have my media box, right? Or my media toolbox, whatever it's called. I zoom in. So all the, all the shots are, are big from there. Let me put my beard down. Sorry. Uh, from there, you could just take your cursor and scroll over it mm -hmm. and you can see if that's the clip you need. Yeah. If it is a double click it, I do my in and out points, drop it on my timeline. I, so well, from yeah, there, once, when, when, once I, when I start cutting, yeah, yeah. yeah. Once I start I cutting on the it timeline, sure it's, it's like minimal. Yeah. It's I think true. you should do it. I, I know I'd figure it out. Um, okay. Well, before we run out of time, I, I also definitely want to talk about, um, I want to get your thoughts on the new Macs that are about to come out in a few days. I don't know how much attention you pay to computers, but I got to talk about them. So hopefully you have some, <laughs> some opinion on yeah. them too. Uh, did you take a look at the Mac studio announcements? 
Yeah. Um, I'm waiting for an iMac to come out with all that in there. Because I have a BenQ monitor, and Mm -hmm. I loved it until I got the 16-inch MacBook, like the new one, because the screen's freaking perfection. So I'm hoping they come out with the iMac with the same screen and with that new chip in it. But even the M1 Max, it's, like, plenty fast enough. Um, I'm assuming the Ultra is, like, I'll just be able to do, like, 4K (laughs) playback with, like, 20 More noise reduction. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty freaking psyched that that's out. Are you getting the the studio? Uh, well, so I don't know what the I'm going to get for myself. Hopefully I'll have a chance to review it, but I haven't yeah. made any decisions about like purchasing for my, my own use. Um, the, like, I think the thing that's going to sell like crazy is that the monitor, the like the studio display is going to be on a lot of desks real soon. Are you getting gonna, that? Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna have to get that for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's not perfect. There's some, there's some like, there's some weirdness about the pricing. But I've been using the LG panel up until now. Uh, you know, like the LD LG, um, Ultra Fine, which a lot the of people have on huge, yeah, the Apple's Apple website, right? Yeah, yeah. the Apple endorsed one. Um, the actual display, like the panel is still beautiful. Like every time I look at them, like this is so good. It looks better than most of my other monitors. The casing around it, like the build of it, it's not, it's not great. It's still an LG, right? It's like, I've, I've survived with it and I've had none of the problems that it seemed to be common. A lot of people have had huge issues with it. Um, and I've had absolutely none. So that's, that's lucky for me. But, um, what's inside of the new, uh, studio display seems to be very similar to that or what was in the 5k IMAX before there's a few minor differences, like it's 600 nits instead of 500. Um, and then also, you know, the, the webcam and the speakers. Um, but it's weird having what is seems to be more or less like a seven or eight year old panel inside of a new $1,500 display, yeah. right? There's not really any... The thing is, if you don't have a monitor... Okay, maybe I'll ask you this question. If you didn't have that BenQ, if you had nothing, would you go with the studio display or would you still get a third Most party? definitely, but... The weird part, I haven't even used my BenQ monitor in two months because oh, okay. I'm just, so obsessed yeah. with the, the laptop screen <laughs> yeah. that like I'm just working a little 16 inch instead of my 27 inch monitor. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So it says I'm a lot. Hoping, yeah. yeah I mean, my buddy just got the what's the other super expensive Mac monitor? Yeah. The XDR Pro Display. Yeah. And that thing I'm, I'm trying to hold out because I'm hoping maybe they'll come out with something similar to that that's more affordable without i don't know i don't know i'm i'm trying to hold out and see if there's gonna be another option i know i i'll probably end up getting the monitor though if the imac well, takes too long i rather so what get you're the say- imac what you're saying about the imac is interesting because uh i've seen a bunch of debate especially like i was listening to atp one of my go-to apple podcasts about there and there there was a lot of argument about like is the 27 inch even something people are going to miss because this sort of replaces it. You can get this monitor and either get a, you know, the M1 max version of the Mac studio, or you could get an M1 mini and you're going to get, you know, great performance and the monitor. And it's not all in one, but all of the parts are still there. And I, I, to, to give a little perspective of like working in creative industries, like every shop that I've worked in where a lot of other people are there, everyone, every creative has a 27 inch iMac, a hundred percent of them. It was the, like, a few people would have a Mac pro maybe. Um, but this is going back for years. Like this is every, everywhere I've been for the last like 15 years, it's been like this, you get the big iMac cause it's, it's just the right balance of price. And then you get the good monitor. 
Um, I, there's no computer I've owned more versions of. No, actually, maybe that's not true. Maybe I've owned more MacBook Pros, but like I've had as many MacBook Pros as I have had 27 inch iMacs because they're such a balance of like value and performance and they are clean on your desk. And that actually does matter because there's a, a lot of creative jobs, maybe not ours, like doing photo and video, having extra ports, having more flexibility in the box. That is actually, that's really practical for what we do. But for designers, for anybody that mostly just works in like Illustrator or web design or all sorts of different production that doesn't require so much horsepower, I'd just rather have less shit on my desk, you know, like yeah. less cables and, and, and all that. So, yeah, I, I missed the 27 inch already and it's barely gone. Yeah, I there's no way they're not gonna come out with another 27 inch. That's what they say. We'll there's see. no. Yeah, way. I, I I think I think it'll come back too. I I agree, but it, I don't know. It, it's weird to me that I don't think it's gonna be right now though. I don't think it's gonna be in the next year. Yeah. Oh, so. oh, I was hoping at the end of the year at least. But well, okay. So here's a question: When I do eventually get my hands on a uh, the M1 Ultra, <laughs> I'm like double checking. Am I saying the right thing? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, on the fastest M1, um, what can I do to really push it? Like, you know, assuming you and I do basically the same work, like where do you ever run into the limits of the M1 Max? Because it's, not, it's okay. not that often for me. So, DaVinci. Yeah. Do a 4K timeline with 8K footage. Um, noise reduction. Turn it up. <laughs> you, do, yeah, you and your noise reduction. Do an HDR node. Do mm -hmm. a transform to log, to a, a, a log. And then a 709 LUT. And between that, do some um, qualifiers uh, and then some windows and see right. if it plays it back. If it plays it back, yeah. I'm running out the door to get it. I actually, yeah. Let's make a bet, uh, like a non-money bet. Do, yeah. do you think everything you described, do you think it'll run it smoothly? Would you bet it does or doesn't? Uh, when it first comes out, no. Because I don't really feel like most software right, is optimized man. yet to really tap into the M1 Max. From what Apple's saying, it's going to, if you wrote your software to be optimized for M1 in general, it will just instantly scale to the Ultra. So if it's like, if it's hitting its peak performance on the Max, it will have no limits on the Ultra. It'll just be day one, like full blast. So, hmm. Well, do you think that our current chips, the, the, the M1 Maxes are fully optimized yet? Well, it depends on the software, right? Does Resolve, is it fully optimized? I mean, I just got such good results out of Resolve. I have a hard time imagining it doing better. Like when I did the comparison to like Premiere, Final Cut, and Resolve, Final Cut and Resolve were just neck and neck. I mean, it was yeah. doing, it was so fast. I was really impressed. And right now, all the Resolve work I've been doing, because uh, actually I just did my full like back and forth grade from Final Cut to Resolve and back. I had never done that mm. for a client before. Um, and it was just like, it was enough for everything. I did have some playback stutters as I like got deeper into the grade. Um, I've been using Filmbox for my film emulation. I just like, I got How it. How is that? It's super good. It's so really? nice. It's very, it's very like simple. It's not like you're going to get a ton of different looks out of it. It's mostly that you're getting that filmic response, like just that, that mm. curve is there and it's really nice. And the fact that it has really good built-in halation and the grain is pretty good. Actually, maybe it's the, the halation and the, the gate weave, I feel like are really strong and, and better than what I've seen from Dehancer, which I haven't used Dehancer, but looking at its halation, it wasn't, it felt a little 
I don't know, like they could keep working on it, I guess. And it looked better out of film box to me. Um, so expensive. But it yeah. Really nice. That's why I haven't tried it yet. Yeah. I'm probably, I, I, I told myself like, I'm getting this for that client. I'm spending, cause it's $124, I think a quarter. So for yeah. like every three months. Yeah. So I was like, I'm getting it for this job and I'll use it for that period. Uh, I've already canceled the subscription, so it won't renew unless I feel desperate and all of a sudden I, I, I really need it. But, um, do you uh, want to see. try to answer? Uh, yes, I do. I, okay. yeah, yeah. I've heard good things about it. Yeah. They actually, it's they, great. They did, they did reach out to me at one point. Um, and they were like, we'll give you a, tr- we'll give you a, a, a one month trial if you do a full review. I'm like, Oh, weird. I don't know if I have time for that. You, <laughs> and, and, I'm sure and you could have you you could have pressed them for sure. Yeah, possibly. Because I, I got I, a, a full license to to do a review on it. Cool. Um, and I and I love and it. Like anytime it when a client, yeah. well, anytime a client wants like a hardcore film look, like retro, like soft, I just use Dehancer. But yeah. for any like the higher end stuff, I do it all manually, and then well, I'll finish off with Dehancer you're, or Grain. You're also in Resolve full time, so for me, I'm yeah. still thinking of Resolve as like I want to. Cause I want to go back. I want to reconstruct my LUT package that I'm like, cause I sell just like a few of them. Like I have just a couple LUTs and I'm like, I want to, I want to rebuild that as like a system that really makes sense and is extremely usable. Cause most, I, like, I went out and I bought every other YouTubers LUT package and like they have, they're really bold looks, but they're not constructed in a way that I find versatile where I can like, this is going to work on any footage that I throw on it. It's not going to break it apart. And I want to build something that you know, does that so that in final cut I can be getting as good of looks as I'm getting in resolve. Cause that's been, that's been my frustrations. Part of why I didn't get too caught up in dehancer is that I was like, well, this is still only in resolve film box is only in resolve. And it's a big ask for me to move from one to the other right now. So I want to, I want to work on like a LUT solution that is just totally LUT based. That'll give me something similar. Also, anybody's probably talking about is thinking about film, uh, convert nitrate right now, uh, which I do have and is, uh, good, <laughs> but yeah, but it's not like it does. It doesn't feel like magic. Like there's some they, times they were like, the OGs, you know? Yes, so they were yeah. great. I learned how to like really maximize that software. Mm-hmm. Um, but then once when Dehancer came out, it like I got to show you some stuff that I do in it, bro. Oh, I've, I've seen what you do and it looks yeah. great. So no, but I, I got to show you stuff you. that I don't show <laughs> okay, other okay. people. Some tricks. All right. Because okay. uh, uh, go, going back uh, to the beginning, how <laughs> yeah. you said I share everything. I don't share everything. I oh, share there's, most there's still of something like, to how your stuff looks oh, better. Yeah. There's bro. There's a lot of things. <laughs> I'm sure. All right, well, I'll send okay. them all your way. Yeah. I yeah. Can't. We'll, we'll have another follow-up call sometime. Yeah. Um, what, okay. What else about the, I, I still want a little more on the max um, before, before they, before, because yeah. this is, I, I got to get, the, I'm actually going to have to rush this episode out because I got to, you know, make sure that I, like, I get all of my exciting thoughts before they start shipping. Cause like, yeah. I kind of want to like, I'm like betting on like, what is this going to actually be like? Like the, the ultra going back to that, that was my thing. I was asking you how much it's going to do. Like, I want to know how much, how many people are actually going to be able to use that? How many use cases is there any requirement to double in an M1 max other than like data scientists? Because I'm still, I'm excited for it, but I'm like, is this just all headroom or, or are there I, any I, practical uses that like, there's something you can't do right now and you'll start doing it because you have that processor. Yeah. Anyone that's shooting 8k, anyone that's shooting raw, yeah. anyone that's doing intensive color grading, like that's going to be just clutch or large <laughs> projects. 
But do you feel like you'll need that with like Red Raw? I mean, Red Raw performs yeah. so well, right? Like, do you? Do you do on you my M1 Max, I have to edit on a 1080 timeline when I'm color grading. Oh. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and on a 1080 okay. timeline, it, it plays back um, with noise reduction. But once you put film grain on it, it starts stuttering. And then once yeah. I start getting really intensive, all my grades are at least like 15 nodes deep. Um, it starts chugging. I have to put the resolution down. And then eventually, as the project builds, I have to just turn off the color grade uh, for playback. So right. for me... yeah, yeah. The ultra you would be pretty yeah. sick, right. yeah. But right. I just, I'm not going to get it until uh, all the, the stuffs. I, I, I don't feel like, it, again, I don't feel like I'm getting the max output of my M1 Max yet. Could be, yeah. I don't yeah. know. I mean, I, how I, much, I, mean, how I much hope RAM I'm right. Have? Just curious. Uh, I only got the one with 32 because I didn't want to okay. wait. Sure. Yeah, I didn't want to customize it. So I was like, yeah, yeah. 32. Well, yeah. So uh, I, what I'm hoping actually is that the C70 firmware update comes out with raw before I have a chance to do the, uh, the, to review the ultra, because I mean, all of a sudden I'm going to be shooting raw all the time. I mean, th yeah. Oh, I just, I keep wanting to talk about it, but there's nothing to say it till it comes out. I'm so excited that the C70 is going to have raw because all of a sudden I, th I think my craving for the Komodo is going to kind of go away a little bit once, once I can shoot raw on this thing. It's do you, do you think the think raw coming good. off that's going to be as I think good as red raw? I, well, no. I mean, the codec I already know is worse. Canon's codecs kind of suck, but the the visuals from it, I think it's going to look. I think you're going to be able to match it dead on to a Komodo. I bet, mm. and and it'll still be behind the the Raptor. Like the Raptor will still be ahead, but I bet we're going to be able to squeeze that extra little like one stop difference we have right now, and that it'll be like perceptually very close. Not it's not going to be the same. The yeah. same. But, but the, the C70 still has that like lower noise floor as well that could possibly give it that advantage where like you say, if you do the noise reduction on the shadows, you could save a little bit more. I don't know. Wait, doesn't the C70 only have SD card slots though? Yeah, it does. It's weird. That's why I'm a little bit sus on. It's weird. It's like, yeah. how are they getting raw out of it unless they're <laughs> pulling back the raw it, a little bit and not giving you full? It is compressed. It is like the, the raw light, but... In, in all the testing that I've done between the different RAWs, the, that compression, the, it doesn't reduce the amount of like, color depth that you have. The, what they're throwing away becomes more about motion compression. So if you have like noisy patterns, that compression becomes more visible and you're going to get more li things like JPEG artifacting, right? Like little nodules. Um, that's the type of compression that you'll be affected by, not the overall, which I care way less about. Because to me, it's like, I want things to look amazing on a phone and you see dynamic range on a phone. This is my, like my classic rant is when people give, say, give MKB a, HD a hard time for shooting on red, like people that buy super expensive cameras and shoot their YouTube videos. And they're like, but people just watch it on their phone. It's like, yeah, you can see the difference on a yeah. phone. You don't think they're going to use, uh, w when they're shooting a web campaign for, you know, Apple or BMW, and it's only going to be seen on YouTube. They don't use expensive cameras. You yeah. can see the difference. Like that's 20 where years the years down the road, that footage yeah. is still going to look great yeah. compared to us. If you have 10, uh, stops, like we're trying to stretch it out and it doesn't look the <laughs> yeah. same. It looks stretched. Like yeah, a lot of my footage looks stretched when I'm trying to match it to like my Komodo even, mm -hmm. um, so imagine like the Raptor, but yeah. Someday. I don't know. <laughs> I think you're still going to get the Raptor and you're still going to get Da Vinci. Um, yeah. 
And when you do, I'll be here to say, told you so. Oh man. Yeah, I will. I can't, I can't wait for you to tell me, told you so, but, uh, until then <laughs> I'm going to keep enjoying your, uh, tutorials, Cam McKay. Um, where can people find you? Just say, just say your things out loud in case, in case they don't look at the show notes. They can find um, you on Instagram. Just Instagram at Cam Mackey. It's Cam Mackey. For some reason, everyone says Cam McKay. I, have no I totally didn't ask you before we started. Oh, that's yeah. embarrassing. At least I didn't get embarrassed until the end of the show. No, literally everyone says McKay. Yeah. All right. Well, or some people know. blend it. Every time I meet a model, it's Kamaki. Kamaki. You've got to put it into your, the intro of your videos. Then. Yeah. Then Sorry. Yeah. I'm so bad at all that stuff. But yeah, right. uh, YouTube, I'm part of the smallest YouTuber that's been on your podcast. So thank you for thinking of me and let me come oh, no, on I, here. That's amazing. Um, and yeah, that's it really. I'm not on Twitter or not. I think I'm a grandpa. Oh, I'm grumpy. Cool. Well, yeah. stay, stay sane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, so Donald wants to say hi real quick. Before we leave, come here. Oh, He's good. looking at me. Come Last here. chance. Come oh, here. there we go. We get a little cameo. <laughs> Hopefully, oh. you can hear that through the mic. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm.